It's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week, I'm part of a great program called The Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Alrighty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Wednesday edition. Of New York, New York, with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski. We're cooking right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And let me say how happy and how thankful I am that we did not have a podcast on Monday night, May the 15th, because the amount of stupidity that I saw on Twitter, that I saw on social media, recording Aaron Judge taking a peek into the dugout and now all of a sudden, it is like the height of all of these cheating scandals known to man. What an absolute waste of time. What an absolute bunch of crap. Hello? Sign stealing has been going on forever in Major League Baseball. If you are not wearing electronics, who gives a crap? Who cares? So I was so annoyed about this all day. Nothing made me happier. Nothing made me happier than the events that unfolded in the top half of the eighth inning between the Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays. And can I say this? For a, and I know the Yankees have not won anything in this judge regime, in the Aaron Boone regime, Cashman over the last 13 years. They haven't won. I, I understand all that. The Toronto Blue Jays act like the biggest bunch of fake tough guys imaginable. For a team that has won nothing, they act like a bunch of punks. They act like a bunch of goons. They are absolutely intolerable. They're incredibly tough to take. They dance after every freaking win. They haven't won a playoff series. Total clown show with a lot of talent on that team, might I add. They're talented, but they are very immature. I was so ticked off watching some of the nonsense that went on today between the back and forth with the coaches, being not in the box, the Blue Jays making a big stink about Judge looking in the dugout. Well, hey, guess what? Get your signs in order. Get them straightened out. Or maybe your pitcher shouldn't throw 85-mile-an-hour meatballs that Judge clobbered on Monday. And oh, by the way, you know what he does on Tuesday? He does it again. So please, spare me the nonsense. I can't believe we live in a society and we live in a baseball world where this is like the talking point that everybody just wants to ram down everybody's throat for the last 24 hours. Enough! Enough! Good for the captain of the New York Yankees saying, you know what? That did piss me off. It is a bunch of crap. And I'm going to go and win the game for the New York Yankees. And that's exactly what he did. That's a big boy win for the New York Yankees. Now, it's a big boy win that, let's be honest, came at a cost. And it came at a cost tonight because I'm yelling about the stupidity and the clown behavior of the Toronto Blue Jays. 
we got to call out Clown Domingo Herman because Domingo Herman got away with a sticky cell violation against the Minnesota Twins about a month ago. Paul Deli was livid about it. For whatever the reason, the umpires decided to keep him in the game. And Herman has pitched really well for the Yankees. He's been their third best. Actually, I should rephrase that. He's been their, he's been their second best starter this year outside of Garrett Cole because his numbers have been better than Esther Cortez's, which is stunning. But Herman's got to know better. It was so blatantly obvious that he had substance on his leg. He had substance on his hand. He's flat out cheating. And now that means automatic 10-game suspension, just like we saw in Max Scherzer in the New York Mets. And it also means that you're going to have to play a man short. And the Yankees are either going to be a position player short or they're going to be a pitcher short over the next 10 games. It's selfish. Now, I might add, where is Matt Blake and where is Aaron Boone before the game if they notice something? Now, it's more on Herman than it is the coaching staff. Let's make that perfectly clear. But when Herman already has kind of gotten away with one, it would be more on my radar if I'm an umpire. It also would be more on my radar if I were in the Yankee brass. Hey, Domingo, be careful, buddy. They're going to pop you. And sure enough, you got popped, which means this game for the Yankees, losing Herman and then losing Ian Hamilton, comes at a cost. But you had a nice game from IKF. You like IKF a lot more when he's playing two days a week and not when he's playing six or seven days a week. Torres drives you nuts with some of the base running blunders and at times that just the, the lack of baseball IQ drives me to drink with Glaber, but he hits. And he's hit for the Yankees for a good chunk of this year. And the Yankees, the best way to put it, folks, they've stabilized things here. Now, they're still well behind the Tampa Bay race, who we'll get to, and you got absolutely no cooperation from Verlander and the Mets, thanks for that. Tampa Bay right now looks like an absolute machine and a wrecking crew. But the Yankees are getting this season back in order. And the return of Judge and the presence of Harrison Bader, without question, has made a difference in the lineup. But good for Aaron Judge sticking it up the Blue Jays' derriere. I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. And I can't stand that Blue Jay team. I can't stand them. They are, they are, they are on my list. Just total immature goon city. That's, that's really the way to look at it. So I'm glad I was able to get that off my chest. Now, the Mets can't even win a game with Verlander on the mound. And I know Tampa Bay is great. And I know Tampa Bay has been beating the crap out of everybody this year. But this is why the Mets should be absolutely destroyed with their inability to go and beat the likes of Washington. I mean, splitting a four-game series is unacceptable. Losing two out of three to Cincinnati is unacceptable. Losing two out of three to the lowly Colorado Rockies is unacceptable. The Mets had about a 14-game stretch where, in theory, they should have been able to get after them, where they should have been able to string some wins together, and they could not do it. You also look, the Mets went about 50 point appearances without hitting a home run. Now, at least that changed in, in this game here on Tuesday night where Beatty goes yard, and Alonzo, who's hit a ton of home runs for the New York Mets, he ends up going yard, but this lineup to me is clearly lacking something. The Mets put too much faith in what they did last year and thinking it was going to be able to repeat itself this year. Marte has had a dismal season. I know he had a couple of hits in the doubleheader. Dismal season. Canna has given them absolutely nothing. The DH spot has given them absolutely nothing. There's a lot of dead weight in that lineup. And when you have pitched the way the, Met, the Mets have pitched, the end result is you got a sub-500 team in the middle of May. The saving grace for the Mets, much like the saving grace for the New York Yankees, is this format in Major League Baseball. Because if we were talking about the old-school format, the Atlanta Braves and the Tampa Bay Rays would be running away with their respective divisions and you would be maybe narrowed down to one or in the more recent format, two playoff spots. Well, now it's three. And the National League is not particularly great. So there is opportunity, clearly, 
for the Mets to go and turn their season around. The Mets season is not over now, folks, in the middle of May. But what you are seeing is a lot of leaks. A lot of leaks within this roster. Between the roster construction, between the lineup construction, and the idea that you're relying on two, basically, 40-year-old pitchers. And if Verlander is going to give starts like that, the Mets have no hope. He won't. I'm not worried about Verlander. I think he's going to be fine. It's his first real bad start. Tampa Bay's a really good lineup. I- I'm willing to let this one slide. I'm more concerned about Scherzer, who actually took a step in the right direction against Washington. But from a Mets standpoint, where are they getting answers? To me, it's got to start within the lineup. Can the lineup somehow, some way, turn back the clock and look look like the lineup we saw last year? Because if you do not get that version of the Met lineup, this team is in trouble. Ocon will add, and I'm waiting for him to make that sort of bold move. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a trade. I don't know if it's a front office shakeup. I don't know what it is. He's not going to fire Buck Showalter. But you know this is eating at Steve Cohen. And I know last year he said, hey, we got off to a real great start. It didn't end up going great for us. That may be true. But you got to get there. And the Mets are putting themselves in a position where we might be talking about wild court fever for both the Yankees and the Mets in their respective divisions. I know it's early. I know the Braves came back from a big deficit last year. Or, I mean, have you seen Atlanta and Tampa Bay? Do they look like teams that's going anywhere in their respective divisions? I don't think so. I wouldn't put my money on that. So. Not a good night for Justin Verlander and the Mets. And this could get worse for the Mets over the next two days before it gets better. Because Tampa Bay, newsflash, they're really, really good. Really, really good. Uh, before we get to some calls, not a good night. If you were hoping the Knicks were going to get themselves a lottery pick, Wembenyaya, uh, I can't even pronounce his name. The Frenchman, Wemby, whatever we're calling his name. I'll get it right when he's scoring 30 and 15 and he's this revolutionary player for the San Antonio Spurs. It is amazing, by the way that the Spurs luck into these drafts and luck into these lotteries all the time. From Robinson to Duncan and now Wemby, must be nice. Must be nice. But no first-round pick for the Knicks. Maybe you get better luck next year with Dallas. And you're A-OK with the Knicks surrendering their pick, knowing that it got you Josh Hart, and you wouldn't have made it out of the first round without Josh Hart. So, a lot to get to. Um, a lot of baseball reaction. We'll take some calls. I got some picks. On the PGA that's coming up on Thursday, I've been in the lab dissecting a bunch of things. I'm also going to unveil my top three destinations for you if you're a Jeff fan or a Giant fan thinking about travel in this 2023 season. But let's take a break. And I forgot to mention, CP the franchise, who is fantastic. I love him. Does great Nick coverage. He's going to join us and we'll try to figure out, all right, well, what's the next move for the New York Knickerbockers and how exactly do they go and take that next step? Let's take some calls, then CP will join us. All that's coming up next. All right, so before we do calls, and our voicemail number is 917-382-1151. We'll have another pod, of course, on Thursday night. And and we'll get back on Twitter spaces probably after a big Yankee or a Met game at some point. I don't know when we're going to do it next. I might surprise you. I might announce it 24 hours. You know, we'll take it from there. I got three road trips you got to make if you're a Jet fan, three road trips you got to make if you're a Giant fan. And the lists are going to be very, very similar. Number one for both the Jets and the Giants, it's without a doubt, no hesitation, no questions asked. The number one trip you should be planning is go to Las Vegas. Drop the mic. The strip, the ambiance, what you can do over the course of the weekend. You hit the club. You hit the strip, you hit the tables, find dining. If you golf like me, you go play a couple of rounds at Reflection Bay and you won't regret it. Go to Vegas. I am going to have to try to make that trip for one of the two teams. I don't know if I can do it. Because, listen, I couldn't care less about going to the game. I would just want to go watch football, watch the giant eject game from the book, and just experience all you New York knuckleheads finding your way to Sin City. I think it would be one hell of a convention. So, Maybe that's something in the works uh, after my wedding if my wife does, future wife doesn't disown me. So Vegas, hands down, number one. Number two, different for the Jets and the Giants. Jets, I'm putting Miami number two, not only because I'm going, not only because the game is going to be good, it's Miami in December. Miami in December. 
that is, let me tell you, impossible to pass up. I may even do the full week down there because the Titans play on a Monday night against my team, and then I could go to the Jet game, stay down there for the week. I'm thinking about that. Same week, the Jets play Miami. The Giants go to New Orleans. New Orleans in December, Bourbon Street, the beach on Bourbon, Patty O'Brien's, Cat's Meow, where I sing a mean karaoke. That's one hell of a trip as well. Giants in New Orleans. Now, third, different for each. Giants, I have Miami. I don't like Miami as much in early October as I do early December. Jets, I put Dallas because you don't get an opportunity to go there very often. I've never been to Dallas. It intrigues me. Maybe it's overrated. But that's where I put Dallas number three on the list. So for the Jets, Vegas, Miami, and Dallas, the Giants, Vegas, New Orleans, Miami. Uh, Happy road trips, everybody. I know many of the New York, New York audience will be plotting those trips as we speak. All right, let's do some calls at 917-382-1151. Steph, let's go, baby. Hey, JJ, what's up, man? It's Pete in Westchester here. Been a long time, man. Long time, no talk. Um, hope all is well. Um, wanted to call in to touch on a couple things. Uh, first of all, I know this week, uh, the, other, the Sunday into Monday pod, you asked uh, the listening audience to, to give their thoughts on New York's uh, playoffs and hockey and basketball, all five teams making it, obviously, first time since 1994. So I just wanted to start with uh, the Rangers. And I've made it pretty clear uh, on a few voicemails that uh, I am no fan of the Rangers. As an Island fan, I am uh, probably one of the bigger Ranger haters you'll find, as I feel is the proper thing uh, for, long, for, for uh, Islanders fans to be. You know, I live in Westchester now, but I'm a native of Long Island, so I've stayed true to my roots. So all I just wanted to say about the Rangers was, ha, you played yourselves. I called when they got Kane, and I said, listen, you guys are getting hyped up. you got Tarasenko, Kane, Tarasenko, all these guys. You're not doing anything. You're not going anywhere. And all those trades, just to lose to the Devils and then to play one more game than my New York Islanders to go to that game seven. So, and you fired your coach. So, you Rangers fans, I hope you learned a valuable lesson from this, which is you're still the Rangers. You're still the less, least cups of the original six. Do not forget that. And anyways, on to more positive notes, switching to our New York Knicks. I think it's hard to be upset about the Knicks season, right? I think, you know, exceeded expectations, won a playoff series. But, you know, when the Bucks go out and, you know, you're facing the heat and you're coming off that, you know, five-game winning series against the Cavs. I mean, it's hard not to start dreaming of the Eastern Conference Finals. So, I think it was a success for the Knicks as a whole. The whole, if you look at the whole season in totality, but I think if you look at the playoffs, this was the playoffs that they left a bit on the table. And I would have liked to have seen at least an Eastern Conference Finals appearance from one of the five New York teams, and I was hoping it would be the Knicks. All right, man. Hope to, to stay more in touch. Thanks, as always. Talk to you soon. Well, I appreciate the call, Pete. Clearly, it's a great satisfaction. The Rangers get knocked out in the first round. And let's be honest, we thought going into this New York playoff extravaganza here in April and May that the Rangers were the team that was most likely and, dare I say, most capable of making a deep run considering they did it last year, and that was not to be. To me, the Rangers were a monumental flop this postseason, but I think with the Knicks' success and the idea that the Devils got to the second round, I'd grade this New York playoff run as a solid B. Probably an A from a Knicks perspective. I wouldn't have accepted. I-, I was giddy they won a round. And I know Miami changed things. They were favorites in the series. There's a reason why Miami went to the conference finals three of the last four years. In theory, Vegas got that one wrong. Can we admit that? Vegas got that one wrong. So I would give the the New York winter teams as far as like meeting my expectations, give them a solid B because the Knicks above and beyond, the Devils above and beyond, the Rangers were a monster flop. And the Islanders and the Nets kind of did what you expected them to do. So there's that. All right, who's next? Hey, JJ, it's Anthony from Tom's River. Uh, I was going to talk to you about the Yankees this week and how well they're playing, but obviously this whole judge situation is kind of the news story of the day. I uh, kind of want to get your take on it. You know, a lot of people are accusing him of cheating or, you know, whether the Blue Jays were tipping pitches. And I kind of think this is really a non-story. I mean, if, if, if he was indeed getting help with uh, the Blue Jays tipping pitches, um, I don't think that, any, you know, he's not doing anything wrong. That's kind of been 
you know, the, uh, you know, it's been a part of baseball for years. It's almost like the Blue Jays got to make sure that they're not tipping pitches. You know, us as Yankee fans, we're familiar with game six in 2001 of the World Series when Pettit was doing it. So it's part of the game and you got to make sure that you, you, you know, you're able to clean it up. But, uh, just kind of want to get your take on it because a lot of people are accusing Judge of cheating. And if it is just tipping pitches, then I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But just kind of want to get your take. All right, JJ. Appreciate it, Ant. It's a whole lot to do about nothing. Your point is brilliantly put. Sign stealing, doing so in a gamesmanship kind of way is a part of baseball. We got on the Astros, and the Astros story was different because of the electronics and the way they were trying to go about it in that regard. Totally different animal. Sign stealing has been going on forever. And you mentioned a great example, that 2001 World Series in Game 6 when Andy Pettit was cruelly tipping his pitches. I don't want to hear from the Blue Jays. Their pitcher on Monday got sent down to AAA after the game. He threw an absolute meatball at Aaron Judge. He threw the same pitch three times in a row. What do you think is going to happen if you throw a pitch like that to one of the best hitters in all baseball? They're going to clobber it. And you could tell, hearing Judge before the game, he was annoyed about this stuff. Because his reputation is pristine. He's a likable guy. He's a good guy. Listen, they picked up on something, more power to him. And I love Judge sticking it to him. Go ahead, two-run homer in the top half of the eighth inning to send the Blue Jays home. Oh, it's fantastic. That Blue Jay team can't lose enough. They're talented. I won't deny that. They're very talented. But they got a lot of learning to do as far as how to be winners. Because they don't know how to win, and they don't know how to act. I mean, that team is just incredibly tough to take. Who's next? Hey, JJ, it's Mike from Palm Coast, Florida, formerly from Whitestone, Queens. JJ, you keep making the same stupid comments like you did in this last uh, voice, uh, last show about you wrote off the Yankees already for winning the division. How, how stupid is that? You're better than that. I mean, you know that the Rays have played the Tigers and the Reds and the Nationals and the A's and they've played, they got all, they got 20 wins versus teams that are guaranteed to lose a hundred games and they got 20 wins. The Yankees have only played three games against those teams that they've played already and beefed up their averages and their home runs and their ERAs and their RBIs. Once the balance schedule comes into effect, it was like a, a weird scenario that Tampa had all the scrubs in the first month. The Yankees have only played three games against the scrubs. They're 3-0 and against the A's. But not 20 wins like the Rays got. Look at their lineup. There's no killers in there. Those numbers don't. You scratch your head. Those numbers don't belong with most of those players. It's all because they played all the scrubs. And you know it. Of course the Yankees have a chance to win a division. Boston sucks. Toronto is the team that the Yankees have to worry about. That's the two, one and two in the AL East. Yankees and Toronto, they're going to fight it out. If you want to tell me Toronto could win, okay. Toronto's pitching ain't that great. Yankees are at least equal to them, if not better, once they get their guys back. So I just wanted to say that I'm a regular listener from day one of all your shows. But, uh, you know, you're making a, a really... Ignorant statement, and I know you don't believe that. Take care. Uh, I love the fire and the passion getting on me, number one. You're dead wrong, number two. Because I think what you're missing is you're not giving enough credit to how good Tampa Bay is. They got a run differential of 123 right now. What did they do to Justin Verlander on Tuesday night? They pounded him into submission. Yankees played okay against the Rays. I'm encouraged by the way the Yankees played against the Rays. I think they've dug themselves too big a hole. Does that mean the Yankees can't beat Tampa in the playoffs? No, I, ne I never said that. But over the course of 162 now, I think it's asking a lot. Yeah, I, I really do. And here's the other problem. You don't have the heads-up games like you used to. So you're not going to get 12 games with Tampa to go maybe gain all those games, beating them heads-up. Yeah, you're right. Tampa, early on in the year, they had a soft portion of their schedule. They're beating the piss out of everybody. They're 32 and 11. And you're also missing out on Baltimore, who's a really good team. 27-15 on the year. I expect the Yankees to be in the playoffs. I've always expected the Yankees to be in the playoffs. 
I do not think they're winning the division. If the Yankees got within two games in the division, give them credit. I know it's baseball. I know there's a zillion games left. But I think you're sleeping on the talent, the prowess, and the just overall dominance that you've seen from Tampa so far this season. I really do. All right, let's take one more. JJ, Justin in Miami. I'm Julius Randle. Look, I think you got to trade this guy, but, but we got to be realistic about it. The good news is a year ago to trade this guy coming off the season he had, you would have had to attach real assets, probably a pick or two, to get him off the roster. That's not the case. He's definitely tradable at this point. He's got a pretty decent contract, a reasonable contract. And there are going to be teams out there that I think would see value in him. But, but unfortunately for the Knicks, it's not going to be a team which has a superstar to give you back because those type of teams want to bottom out. So I, I'm talking about trading to a team like a Charlotte or a Detroit or a Houston, a team which doesn't want to lose 60 games and would find value in, in Randall going off in the regular season and, and getting them to the, maybe a playing level. So, so who are you realistically looking to get back for this guy? It really it comes down to, you know, is the Knicks roster better if you do something like Julius Randall for, for Gordon Hayward and a couple picks? Because that's ultimately what I think you're going to get, whether it's a Gordon Hayward or, or a, maybe a Chris Paul. But that's realistically what you're dealing him for. And, and look, if, if you get Gordon Hayward for two years, he's not as good as Julius Randall. Does he, does he give you some things in terms of, of spacing the floor that maybe bring some value to the Knicks? Sure. But if, if you just trade Randall for Hayward, you're not going to be as good. And that kind of is, in my opinion, the conundrum because really trading Randall sets you up for the next move. But if that next move doesn't come right after you trade Randall, you know, you, you could go from 47 wins to, say, 42 wins and back in the play next year, which would be disappointing and similar to what we saw two years ago. Love to get your thoughts on it. Talk to you later. Justin, I think it's an excellent observation. I'm sick and tired of watching Julius Randall play. And I know he had an all-NBA season, and I know he was an all-star. He's a losing player. I think we agree on this. The Knicks will never win and win big with Julius Randle as a part of the team. Now, I say all that and I preface all that by saying I don't know what trade I'd be okay with because you're right. For next year's team, you can't just trade him for the sake of trading him. Got to match up the money. It's a complicated equation. And are the Knicks going to be, dare I say, necessarily better? If they trade Julius Randle for next year, probably not. Okay, you hit on guys that maybe could work in potential packages. It makes it a very complicated scenario. Now, remember, Randle is a CAA guy, Leon Rose, and listen, Leon Rose did a fine job this year. Brunson, brilliant. Josh Hart, brilliant. The idea he's not speaking in the media is so pathetic. What are we doing? In all seriousness, what are we doing? You just won a playoff series. You got men and women who cover the team every day. Don't you owe your fans, hey, state of the team, this is what's going on? How is that not happening? And how is it acceptable it's not happening? You know, a buddy of mine said that to me a few minutes ago, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to bring it up on the pod because it's total bullshit. Leon, come on, you're better than that. You're an agent. You come from that world-renowned CAA background. Come on, man. Wouldn't kill you to go in front of a microphone and say, hey, this is what I'm happy about. This is what we want to work on, and let's take it from there. How tough is that? I guess it's way too tough. I don't know. I I don't know. But Randall's fascinating. Listen, remember I said this. They trade him, and you end up just getting rid of him for the sake of getting rid of him. You're probably going to be a worse team next year. But if you're delusional to think that they're going to win big with him being a part of the team, you couldn't be more wrong. You could not be more wrong. So that's a good little segue. Our guy, CP, the franchise, who is terrific, did great Nick coverage all year. He joined us back in December. What a different state of affairs it was in Nick Land then. Uh, but we'll kind of put a bow on the season, yes, and we'll try to figure out what's next for the franchise. That's coming up next. So we're bummed out that the Knicks season has come to a close, but I think it's fair to say it was the best Knicks season in over a decade. And, you know, it's funny. We welcome in CP, the franchise, who is killing it right now. Knicks fan TV. He does stuff all the time over with me over at SNY. And CP, the last time I had you on the pod, 
I was down on the Knicks. It was early December. I was wondering, all right, well, what's the state of the franchise? Where did it go from here? Are they in like this worst case playing scenario? And I need to throw, and this is where I want to start, every apology the way of Jalen Brunson, because CP, as you know, I'm a Q's guy, and I love Carmelo Anthony. Like, that was my dude. I love them at Q's. I love them with the Knicks. But I'm going to tell you something. Jalen Brunson is my favorite Knicks since Patrick Ewing. How about that? That's how impressed I was with that guy this year. I love that man, bro. You know what, man? It's tough because like you, I'm a mellow guy. From that Q's run, Straight through his NBA career, he was one of he's probably my favorite NBA player. So that one's still tough, man. I, I still have that those ties to Melo. But as you said, Jalen Brunson's right there, man. Uh, as soon as he came to this team, there was no adjustment period needed. There was no you know growing pains. He came right in. It it, it almost instantly became his team. Just watching him operate out there, just operating into the paint, um, his craftiness, his footwork, his ability to just get whatever shot he wanted whether it was against a, a opposing defender that was near his size or an opposing wing, just being able to adjust on the fly, he was an elite shot creator for this team. He was a stabilizing force for this team. Captain Clutch is what I called him because for a good chunk of that NBA season, he was in the top three in clutch points. He was a guy that you can go to, dump it down to, and he would get you a bucket. And from that point straight through, to the end of the season, to the end of their run in the playoffs, 41 points in the elimination game against the Heat. I mean, it was a travesty that he was snubbed from the All-Star game. And obviously after that, he was going to be snubbed from All-NBA. Didn't get most improved honors. But uh, anybody that watched this next season knows that he was everything for this next team, man. Most valuable player on the team, without question, without hesitation. And, you know, CP, I always liked him as a player. Like, I watch a lot of college basketball. He was a terrific player at Villanova on those great teams. They had their bridges. They had Josh Hoard, who was instrumental in what the Knicks were able to do. But I don't think you really get an appreciation for somebody until like you get the chance to watch them day after day after day. And you nailed it with Brunson. The guy just like the basketball IQ is off the charts. In the clutch, he's going to deliver. He's going to make the right basketball play. And I go back to the contract the Knicks gave him. At the time, I'm like, wow, good player. But did they go and really overpay for Jalen Brunson? CP, the hell with that. He's underpaid. He should be making double what he's making after what I saw this year, dude. They got an absolute steal. And the how about the fact that the contract is descending every single year? So uh, they lucked out there. I didn't see it until, like, obviously him coming from Nova. I always trust the Nova program. Anyone who's coming out of that program, they have a very high floor. What their ceiling is going to be is TBD. Like, obviously, Brunson's on the high end, Macau Bridges as well. But they're always safe, ready-to-go, professional, high-character NBA players. So I knew that's what they were getting. But I didn't really see it until that playoff run that he had with the Mavericks going head-to-head with Donovan Mitchell, with, with Luka Doncic on the men, you know, knocking out the Phoenix Suns and just watching him operate as the guy for most of that, those, those series, I was very impressed, man. And so at that point I said, okay, I'm on board with the Knicks because at that point you, you would knew, you would, you knew that the Knicks were going to make a move for him. I said, okay, I'm on board with this. This guy looks like a player. And, you know, as much as he gave them on the offensive side of things, what he had in between the ears to me was even more important. The ability to handle the pressure and the expectations that come with winning in New York. He's always even keeled. I've had a chance to, to speak to him, you know, backstage after these games here and there comes from a great family, a great background. And it just gave you more and more comfort that this is the right guy for the job, man, that this team is his team. And now you just hope that they can build some proper pieces with him to ultimately exceed where they got this year. So we're going to agree on this. It's an overwhelming success of a season. They win a playoff series for the first time in a decade. I know Vegas put them as a favorite against Miami, but you know this, CP. Miami, they're a bunch of cockroaches. And I say that in a complimentary way, man. They play the game the right way. In my opinion, they have the best NBA coach going in, Eric Spolstra, and he put on a coaching clinic on how to attack the New York Knickerbockers in this series. And there's a reason why Miami's been in the conference finals now three of the last four years. But for you, if you're going to look at one culprit or, or one 
potential element for why the Knicks did not make it to the conference finals and did not get by the Miami Heat. What was the main ingredient in your opinion, CP? Well, number one, I got to look at the offense, man. Woeful, woeful shooting numbers for this Knicks team. It was one of the things when they went into the postseason, I had wondered because, you know, that offense had finished within the top five and they were impressive, but they were impressive because they got excellent isolation contributions from both Randall and Brunson. They protected the ball, low turnover team. They they made good decisions with the ball. And then they got the second chance points. They were one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league back-to-back years. So their offense was able to work in the regular season. But they weren't an efficient shooting team. And for the third year in a row now, they, are, they were in the bottom of the league in effective field goal percentage. That carried over into the postseason. They were in the bottom of the league in three-point percentage. That carried over into the postseason. And so... What you saw, especially in that Miami series, was that the one thing that Spolster was going to look to take away from this team was paint touches and getting shots at the rim. They they didn't care what Josh Hart was doing out there. They didn't care what R.J. Barrett was doing from three, even Julius Randle when he came back. They were forcing the Knicks to beat them from the perimeter, and the Knicks just couldn't do it. You know, outside of a few games, they really couldn't do it. And so the shooting was was a big issue. And this Knicks team, they just don't move the ball efficiently enough and so they became very easy to defend as you mentioned you look at that Miami team they were zipping the ball all all the way around the perimeter everybody got in touch everybody's passing everybody's moving they're draining the shot clock out and they are always almost always ending up in a wide open shot and so the Knicks have to work on that offense and, and work on a proper scheme into the offseason I think that was a big culprit man offensively they just weren't there I don't disagree um and then you look at where they go from here? Because you go back a couple of years ago, CP, they played that Atlanta series. They couldn't shoot the ball at all, right? So they go and they give ill-advised money to a guy like Evan Fournier. They bring Derrick Rose back, who had a good postseason, but they overpay for him. And basically, a year after the 2021-2022 offseason, they're looking to get out of all these contracts. They're like, oh, we, we got this one wrong. 48 can't even get any burn in this series against the Miami Heat, which tells you all you need to know about him. So from an offseason standpoint, we know they need to get better offensively. Ball movement is crucial. Maybe getting a guy or two can help you space the floor could make that much more of a difference. But you don't want to go and throw stupid money out there. So, like, talk me through how the Knicks do this the best and most proper and efficient way. Because, listen... For the, we'll get to the Randall situation in a minute. Assuming a majority of this team comes back, do you see like wholesale changes coming for the Knicks? Or do you see like this being a kind of minor tweak here or there type of offseason? Well, they're, they're always going to be on the lookout for the big fish, right? Last year, it was Donovan Mitchell, who despite, you know, fans kind of seeing the demise of Utah coming, I don't think people really knew Donovan Mitchell was going to hit the market as fast as he did. They didn't get the job done there. We'll see what happens with the fallout in Philadelphia. Does Harden go to Houston? Doc Rivers is fired. What happens with Embiid? Does this new coaching search, you know, take him in, in, in mind? So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Phoenix, they're going to be looking to, they're going to be desperate to, to try to compete. I don't see Booker shaking loose that fast. So you're always going to be star watching. But I think in the in the immediate term, what they need to focus on is addressing those, those those upgrades on the margins. I don't see wholesale changes necessarily. You try to go out and get some free agent pieces, some three-point shooting, maybe a Seth Curry. You know, does a guy like uh, maybe even a Georges Niang from Philadelphia. I like a guy like a Tory Craig who can play both sides of the ball. Six, seven, can knock down the three, can guard at the wing position. I think three and D wing is a position of need as well. Uh, you have, hey, maybe even Max Truce who killed the Knicks in the playoffs, a hot three. Can't beat him, join him, CP. Can't beat him, join him. So I think, you know, those are the moves. They're still going to be over the cap. So those are some of the moves I think I would expect on the margins to try to improve in some of the weak areas. Uh, I would think they would bring quickly back. You know, the quickly contract extension talks should be picking up this offseason. And then Josh Hart. I think the Josh Hart move, I, I think he would certainly return there. So, like I said, I think it'll be a star watch, but... Just addressing that three-point shooting, getting another wing defender here. Those are some of the the upgrades that they can make on the margins that can hopefully get them back to where they left off in the postseason. 
All right, I think I buried the lead a little bit here, CP, because I know you have a lot of Nick fans in your life. I have a lot of Nick fans in my life. I did a show after the game Friday, and listen, I was right there with all the Nick fans. I'm sick and tired of Julius Randle. Like I, I just he, his game drives me to drink. I thought he was brutal in this Miami series. I thought his body language sucked. I thought he was completely out of position on defense, and a smart team like Miami picked that up. Now I say all of that, CP, and I'm well aware of the fact that he's got a gigantic contract, and if the Knicks for next year want to remain in the playoff conversation, he is a regular season dude. I mean, he was an All-NBA player. He does get buckets. He does play throughout an 82-game schedule and season. So it's, like, complicated from a standpoint of, oh, just get him out of here. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. It's not as simple as that. Uh, From what you're hearing, logistically, is it, number one, possible to move Julius Randle? Number two, do you think the Knicks are inclined to move Julius Randle? I think it's possible. Uh, will they do it? I'm not so sure, man, because as you said, it's a very difficult trade to make because they won 47 games in that regular season. And yes, Jalen Brunson was outstanding, but so was Julius Randle. I mean, let's be real. 25, 10, and 5 does not grow on trees. And he was a good regular season player. He was an all-star and all-NBA player. I'm just not sure if the Knicks are able to get comparable value in a trade there. The way, you know, they've set a new bar for themselves now. Two games away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Anything outside of that next year is going to be considered a failure. The expectations are now through the roof. So if you're going to trade Julius Randle, I would expect it to be a trade where they get star for star or or Julius Randle and a package of players for another star. Because, yes, fans are looking for more complementary pieces. They're looking for you know more chemistry, those are, that are sour on his body language and things of that nature. But the production spoke for itself in the regular season. I just don't I- know if there's a trade out there that would allow them to see that same production and get to where they were and where they finished this year. I totally get that, CP. I really do. But I look at the Eastern Conference and I think about, okay, what you need to do in order to take that next step. And you nailed it. Expectations are going to be through the roof next season from Knickerbocker fans. And I think my problem is I see these just smart basketball teams and these top-notch basketball teams. And I'm real with... Where I stand with the Knicks, with Randall is like a big part of what they're trying. I don't think they'll ever win and win big with him as part of the team. You know what I mean, dude? Like, I just think he does not strike me as a guy where in two years from now or three years from now, if we're celebrating, hey, conference final or a, a trip to the NBA finals, like, I, I'd be stunned if Julius Randall is a part of that, dude. I really would. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think he's a big piece. I don't think he's a guy that you can rely on to live to deliver. Um, a, a a strong contender, you know, for the championship. They they made a good run this year, but were they really a, a true contender? I didn't see that. Um, and I don't see him as a guy that that can get them there. Three for fourteen in the elimination game is just not going to cut it. I'm not sure if this offense is suitable for him because it's an offense that requires high IQ decision making, and you have to be consistent in that. One night, you know, game five will give you. Eight, nine assists. And then game six, he'll be all over the place. You're throwing the ball out of there. You know, defensively, he's nowhere to be found. So I think he's just so inconsistent. You just don't know what you're going to get from him, especially in the playoffs. But, you know, is it a take two steps back to maybe take a step forward in the following year? Maybe that's the case. But I I just don't see Leon Rose and those guys willing to do that. Uh, Number one, it seems like those two camps are very close. They're very close to his family him being in that CAA camp. I don't see this team, you know, just jettisoning Julius Randle for the sake of, you know, forming, you know, maybe building a contender down the road. I think they will keep him here. And I the, the other route might be using a guy like an R.J. Barrett and your younger players to get either your star player or a significant upgrade there and try this thing with Julius and Jalen Brunson. I think I think they have an easier path to do that with the other players to upgrade the team than, than with Julius Randle. Okay, one guy I want no part of CP, and I loved him in college, and I've now really soured on him watching him in the NBA. I think he's charming soft. I think he gets into way too much foul trouble. I think he's hurt all the time. 
And the contract, somebody sent me the numbers yesterday, CP. I wanted to barf in my mouth seeing that Carl Anthony uh, Towns contract. Please tell me the Knicks are not going to make a trade for him. Please, please. I, I hope and pray that Carl Anthony Towns is not a Nick. And, uh, you know, for those reasons, the, the durability issues, right? If we talk about Julius Randle, he's been there every game. Outside, he just got hurt, unfortunately, near the end of the season, and that may have may have impacted him in the postseason. But at least you can count on him from day in day out to be healthy. Carl Anthony Towns, he's he's never healthy. I don't I don't feel like he plays physical enough. He's a bit more finesse. Yes, he can knock down a three point shot. That's nice. But you know, look, how successful has he been with that Minnesota Timberwolves team? You know, I I don't think he's he's that's the right answer. He's not a guy that I would be looking to part with valuable assets for. And that contract is enormous, man. You know, it starts at forty six million and goes all the, all the way up into the fifties. So, you know, that's one where number one, you got to find the the salary to match to get him. And then, you know, what are you really getting here? Or does he make you a true contender? I don't see it here with Towns. CP, this has been a ton of fun, man. But I want you to leave us with a parting thought. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of stargazing in the next year, maybe two years, maybe three years. Who is the guy that like in CPs, I, I want to say fantasy world, but I also want to keep it like somewhat realistic. Who is the guy that you're saying, man, if the Knicks can somehow, some way get him, is there one guy for you? Right now it would be Devin Booker. You know, I've always been a big book He's fan. He's unbelievable. Dude. He's unbelievable. He's fantastic. I felt like the KD trade kind of lengthened the time frame for a realistic shot at Booker because now their championship window, although I think it's closing, especially with Chris Paul there, it's still there with 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 Kevin Durant and a new coach coming in. So I think Booker is uh, is more of a long shot. Man, I would also love Mikael Bridges on this team, man. He's a winner, dude. He's another one of those Villanova boys, you know? Those Villanova boys know how to play basketball is now turning into a budding star in our backyard. And now I don't think they have any shot at getting Cal Bridges now that he's on the Nets. So that's a tough one, man. So, you know, Luka Doncic, will Cuban ever trade Luka Doncic to the Knicks? Not without a hefty, hefty tax with the way things have been going between those two sides. So I would say in that order, I would say uh, Booker, Bridges, I put Embiid third. And Doncic fourth. I, I don't see a Doncic one being real. Yeah, I don't want Doncic. And I know he played great with Brunson last year. I feel like point guard, uh, Jalen Brunson can handle the ball. Embiid, Embiid's the guy I want. And I know he's a big, I know he's got injury concerns. Get me Brunson with Embiid. It's not James Harden. You know what I'm saying, CP? It's not James Harden. I would love to see those two operating in a pick and roll. You know, Nick's improving in the pick and roll ball handler statistic this year. Having an Embiid, a guy that can space the floor, plays two ways. Um, but because of the way he plays on two ways, the injury concerns are always there, man. And they're always going to be there with a big. I mean, these bigs always get hurt, dude. They all get hurt. You know, the, the slog of an 82-game season plus playoffs. I couldn't even believe he started playing again after I saw the way he injured his right knee, man. I thought he was, he was cooked for the entire series. But, you know, give credit to him just didn't show up in the elimination game and, and ultimately gets Doc uh, his job, cost him his job. CP, keep killing it, man. Killing it every which way. I, I saw you doing your thing at the uh, at one of the establishments outside the garden. I'm like, man, this guy is rock and rolling. He's got a huge crowd there. I see you all the time on SOY, Nick Fans TV. Uh, what else you got to plug? Is that everything? Did I do my job here? Yeah, that, that's it, man. We're still rocking and rolling. Knicks Fan TV will have a draft lottery coverage going on. And, and if the Knicks are able to sneak in, hopefully they get the 11th pick. We'll have extensive uh, NBA draft coverage all the way up until uh, until the draft. So looking forward to that. And yeah, man, anytime, man. Thanks again for having me. That's CP, the franchise. Thanks for a few minutes, bro. No problem, man. Anytime. Good stuff there with CP. All right, before we say goodbye with Jeff Money, PGA Championship, Oak Hill, Rochester this week. Fired up. Great field. Love the major championships. I got a couple of plays. Cameron Young shaved his beard. This is a guy who, to me, is due to go and have one of these monster performances in a major. 32 to 1 for Cameron Young in Tyson. The other two that caught my eye Kepka played well at the Masters, playing well in the Live. These Live guys have a major chip on their shoulder. I don't think there's any question. And I think he's going to play well this week. 
Kepka at 21 to 1. That is one I have circled. The final one I have circled. And this is far more of the long shot variety. Keegan Bradley, 90 to 1. 90 to 1 for Keegan Bradley to win this tournament. Those are the three I'm going to play top 10. I'm going to play them top five, and I'm going to play them to win. I'm going to play Kepka. I'm going to play Cameron Young at 32 to 1, and I'm going to play Keegan Bradley at 90 to 1. And if there's another I'd add in, kind of like Cameron Smith at 32 to 1 as well, I'm telling you, I think these live guys got a chip on their shoulder, and it could be advantageous. So, something to think about. All right, before we say goodbye, Jeff Money. Four is yours. Take it away. What up, JJ? Jeff Munn here to handicap the picks would be for tomorrow, Wednesday, the 17th, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with the Miami Heat plus the eight over the Boston Celtics again. I like the Miami Heat plus, plus the points. I think the Celtics are gonna win, but we're gonna keep it close. So the heat is on. Let's see if we got a family play and everyone can always, always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm at it. Let's go, Jeff Bunny. Um, Very tough game for me to handicap in game number one. I think Miami will definitely be in at least one of the first two games. I just wonder what kind of shape is Jimmy Butler's ankle going to be in? And is Boston going to ride the momentum of winning game seven and just blitz the Miami Heat? They are clearly the more talented team. Did they get their scare in round number two? That's my question. Uh, I lean your direction. I have not made a play on the game yet. I definitely will not be laying eight points with the Celtics. But I do sense the potential maybe for one of these games being around. That line being as high as it is kind of scares me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Because Miami getting eight almost seems a little too good to be true. So we'll see. That's a no play for me right now. I am on Miami in the series. Uh, plus two and a half games. And I parlayed that with the Nuggets. That's how I'm playing the conference finals. And the Nuggets, that was an insane Western Conference final, game number one. I mean, you want to talk about high-level offense. You got some insane high-level offense from Davis and Jokic. And the Nuggets should have been up by way more points. Survive late in the fourth quarter. Austin Reeves in every shot imaginable. But the Nuggets go and win game one. They do not cover the number. And I think that'll be a very entertaining series. I think there are a lot of positives you like from a Laker perspective. The Lakers can play offense like that. That's a good sign. But I feel like the Lakers got to slow down the game a little bit. They are not going to win against Denver going up and down the court like that. That, in many ways, plays right in the Nuggets' hands. So we'll see if the uh, pace of play is going to be much different in game two. Good job by Stefan. As always, we're back on Thursday. Mets will wrap up their series with the Rays. The Yankees will wrap up their series with the Blue Jays. And we'll set the stage for what's coming up this weekend. I hope everybody enjoys it. We'll talk to you on Thursday. JJ out. Be good, everybody.